Hey, KU basketball fans. This is Jesse Newell, Jayhawk beat writer for the Kansas City Star, reminding you it's almost basketball season. Download the new KU Hoops app to keep up with all the KU men's basketball action. The KU Hoops app has in-depth analysis from the Star's award-winning sports writing team, as well as news on recruiting and game previews. Use the KU Hoops app to keep up with Coach Self as he tries to take the Jayhawks to their 13th straight Big 12 regular season title. Download the free KU Hoops app at the Apple or Google Play stores now. Welcome back to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KU Beat reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore of Bleacher Report. CJ, how's your week going? Well, Jesse, it's uh, you know it's going all right. Probably not as good as you since you're sitting in Hawaii right now. <laughs> yeah, that seems to make the week go a little bit better. Uh, the uh, some palm trees outside the hotel window and some nice weather. Not not needing any long pants or, or jackets anywhere. But yeah, in Honolulu, getting ready for KU's game against Indiana coming up a top 15 matchup to kick off the season but uh, before we get to our interview with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star some interesting things he said in there just talking about uh, Indiana kind of the transition they've gone through the last year after getting really beaten up by Duke early last season they kind of had a turnaround and a whole change of thought when it came to Tom Crean and, and the fan base their feelings on Tom Crean but before that, I just wanted to get to kind of a state of the union with KU basketball as the season is about to begin CJ I, I guess we'll start off with that what what do you think how prepared is KU for the season and I guess what are the main storylines you see as the first game approaches well I mean I think they have almost the perfect roster to go into a big game like this I mean you 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 look at Indiana, they've got some questions at, at point guard, you know, a transfer going to be their starting point guard. That's every spot to be in it as, for a first game where KU's got a lot of consistency carrying on over from last year, got two starting point guards back in your starting lineup. You know, you have a big man, Landon Lucas, who has experience anchoring you in the post. Um, you know, some guys off the bench who have experience. Obviously, the biggest question mark, and we've talked about it for a while, and, you know, I, I brought it up to you like three weeks ago. Almost I feel like it was kind of like a um, forewarning for what happened in the in the two exhibition games. Bill Self had not been happy with Carlton Bragg at that point, and, and we kind of saw it in the exhibition games how he, it played out. He looks to me right, right now like a player who's got a lot going on upstairs, and, you know, I think we saw that really in that, in that Washburn game, 15 minutes, five fouls, couldn't catch the ball and, and – lay it in when he was when he was wide open so I think that's kind of while KU is going into this game like with a lot of good things that you, that you can write about and um, feel feel pretty good about I think the, the fact that Bragg is, is kind of trying to figure things out is, is a little bit scary for KU because he could potentially be matched up with OG um, Ananabu, I, I'm going to probably mispronounce that. That's, that's one of the hardest names to say in college basketball. Who, you know, I think we'll talk about this later with Zach. I think is Indiana's potentially best player down the road. Ananobi, that's what I learned from talking with Zach. Yeah, no, the thing about yeah. Carlton that it, it might not be as scary in other years, but there was a great uh, piece by Sam Mellinger. I encourage people to go check it out on the Star about Carlton Bragg and his quote funk, and you know, Bill Self really challenging him at this early point in the season to be better and and really getting after him to to be an improved player. We've seen Bill Self do this with past guys in past years, you know, the Russell Robinsons, the Morris Twins, I mean, challenging guys and then able to get the best out of them. I think the, the concern more this year is that when that's happened in the past, KU's had the depth to maybe overcome that if you wanted to bench a guy or to, to sit him out. But, man, 
that we had a little bit uh, on Wednesday. We were on the uh, USS Chafee with the KU basketball team. There was a little bit of a mini controversy when there was an Instagram photo by, by Jaren Howard tweeted or tweeted out and sent out through Instagram that showed Landon Lucas in a walking boot. And so, uh, you know, Bill Self says he's fine, just trying to protect against soreness. You know, he practiced and everything, all those things. But, you know, <laughs> you think about Landon Lucas, if he did go down with an injury, he's not for this game. But, boy, that makes their front court really thin. We've I've already talked about in, in some pieces that I've written about how, you know, you look down the bench and Bill Self doesn't have guys he can trust yet. You know, Mitch Lightfoot is a mm-hmm. guy who is going too fast at this point and just needs to settle down a little bit. Good energy, but just doesn't really know what he's doing. Dwight Colby's not explosive at all, and he's not giving KU what they thought they were getting a year ago when he transferred in, part of that because of the torn ACL. But, you know, beyond that, what what big guys do you have? You have Yodoka Azabuki, who, again, very talented guy, doesn't know what he's doing at the offense and fouled out in one of the exhibition games in eight or nine minutes. So uh, a big question mark there, and, and that's your front court. I mean, there's nobody else on this roster. So, uh, again, you're going to ask Landon Lucas to play a bunch of minutes early, and then you're going to ask Carlton Bragg to give some consistency. But right now, as we talked about, in that sort of a funk, I think that has to be one of the biggest concerns heading into this season. Things can change over the course of time. We know Carlton Bragg has the talent to get out of this. But at this point, at least early in the season when you're facing these two really tough opponents, they need a good Carlton Bragg. And so far, he hasn't shown that against two exhibition opponents. But here's the thing that is, is positive for KU, and you know, of course, I'm going to bring this back to to small ball Jesse. Of course, you know, that's where we take all. Of course, yes. but <laughs> if there was a game where you know you can get away with maybe having just one big guy um, who you can count on, and you know that being Landon Lucas for for KU, I, I think you can get away with you know playing small a lot in this game because you know, and 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 maybe you match up even better with them when when you put Josh Jackson. On OG, and we're just going to call him OG because that's a lot easier. <laughs> uh, you know, OG is more of a, as, as we'll talk about with Zach later, he's more of a wing, and and they're playing him mostly at the floor. And and Indiana is a team that's really going to spread you out and and not try to just you know jam the ball down your throat in the post. You know, they're, they're going to try to spread you out, get you in space. So small lineups might not be a bad thing against Indiana as far as how you match up with them best. And you know. Jesse, I'm really, really looking forward to this game. Not because it's an opener, not because it's just, you know, against two name brand schools who are, you know, obviously have a lot of history, a lot of, a lot of the fan bases are, are, are similar in a way. But this is just going to be such a fun matchup because if KU does go small and, and you know, you know Indiana's going to go small, it's just going to be such a wide open game and so entertaining. And, and you know, I was at that Duke Indiana game last year. You know, Duke kind of plays similar. They, they they try to play small a lot, although at that time, the middle Jefferson was still healthy, and, you know, Duke was playing a little bit more traditional. But the first, you know, what what we remember about that game is just Indiana's offense or defense looking terrible, and, you know, Duke just scoring, scoring, scoring nonstop. But for the first maybe 10, 15 minutes that game, it was just back and forth, and Indiana was scoring the ball at a high level, and it was really, really fun to watch. And with KU's defense, you know, you, you can tell me if you think differently, Jesse, but I, I feel like the defense maybe is a little bit behind at this point than, than where KU defense usually is, and maybe that's just because of the fact that, you know, they're, they're trying to adjust to, to not having a four-year starter or a four-year guy and, and Ellis in there and having Bragg instead. But I think this could be a really wide-open, really fun game to watch uh, high-scoring and, and watch it be like 66 to, to 64. But it, to, to me, it looks like a fast-paced, high-scoring game that could be fun to watch. Yeah, well, in Indiana, under Tom Crean, you know, their offense was among the tops in the nation last year. Like you said, going a little bit more to that 
I hate to say Duke style, but yeah, you know, you spread the floor, four guards, pass out, kick out to shooters. Uh, you know, we talked about OG. He's a dangerous shooter out on the perimeter. Thomas Bryant's going to be a big matchup inside. You know, Yudoka Azubuki said that he's a guy that he's played with in the past, looking forward to going up against. So, yeah, it should be a great matchup game one. And you talked about being behind defensively. You know, KU gave up, I think KU gave up, up in the tra- in the exhibition season just some things that haven't happened as much in the past. There seemed like a lot of transition allowed by KU against Washburn. And, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's behind at this point in the year. I think that's what we have to remember. You know, you kind of get really laser focused on Kansas you think oh they didn't look very good in the exhibition season well basically every team doesn't look good in the exhibition season because nobody has you know their full complement of offense or defense or or everything in place but yeah at this point like you said I wouldn't be surprised at all I can almost see our stories right now like from six months in the future because we're going to talk about how Carlton Bragg averaged eight minutes a game against Indiana and Duke and was frustrated by his playing time and that could that, that I could absolutely what a rebound he had and, and what a rebound he had how he overcame it because that absolutely could happen these two games because not only is Carlton behind but like you said Indiana and Duke are teams that play this sort of outside in style and it's only natural you know to, to put Josh Jackson at the four and and to have that sort of lineup especially with the limitations of depth that KU has so it's almost like I can kind of sort of see five months in the future when you know KU's getting ready for an elite eight or a sweet 16 game talking about Carlton Bragg and the great comeback he had after averaging eight minutes per game against Indiana and Duke early in the season and how he's just let that fuel him into a, a new uh, a new season maybe what the reality of it is is that this is a guy who's not playing his best, who's being challenged by his coach, and who's playing a matchup against two elite teams that Bill Self really wants to beat in matchups that really favors KU playing small, even if they haven't played in the past. So that, to me, is going to be one of the fascinating subplots to see how it plays out. Will KU commit to fully going small? And if they do, it seems like they could have a really good matchup in these first two games. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's going to be kind of interesting to, to see. I, I think Bragg is, is the biggest... X actually question mark in these in these first two games. If he comes out and plays really well, I think you, Bill Self's going to you know have to feel good about his chances. If, if he doesn't, it's going to be interesting to see how he juggles his lineup and, and really what he does with his rotations. And uh, you know, it, both these teams are going to test him. I mean, Tom Crean and Mike Shesky are two of the best offensive coaches in the country. Um, I was talking to a scout the other day who had just been at Indiana's practice, and he was like. Um, he said it was really cool to see how much skill development Indiana works on, and, and I think if you see you look in there, you can cr- criticize Tom Crane for you know the, the defense that his teams have played at times, but offensively his teams are always really good, and, and you know player development has always been a strength. You look at a guy like Victor Oladipo and what he did with him, and now OG is kind of the next one in kind of that shape that wasn't a high-profile guy, the high school player was kind of a diamond in the rough that is, you know, going to turn into potentially a lottery pick. And even with their big guys, this guy was telling me, you know, they do, they do all this skill work, all this outside work, having them dribble, um, you know, in, in different cone drills and, and um, you know, even Thomas Bryant getting out on the perimeter. And some will ask back about later on, you know, kind of how they will maybe attack KU and, and, and use Thomas Bryant in, in some interesting ways. So it's, it's going to be a team that's definitely a challenge to guard right off the bat for, for the Jayhawks. Really quickly, I wanted to mention, too, after this Indiana Duke game, we talked about Carlton Bragg and this potential you know growth of this season. Uh, I'm reading off of Ken Palm, KU's win probability for its next scheduled games after that, getting to Big 12 play. 
So it's amazing how this schedule is flipped for KU this year where they face two really tough teams to start and then after that basically have a a stretch of games where they shouldn't be challenged and if they are challenged they still should the the numbers would tell you should come out and win. So KU's got some time to grow after this. It's just kind of crazy that they they really need to be on point to try to to win one or two of these first two games because they're playing such talented competition. Before we get to this interview, CJ, I also want to grill you. I saw the Bleacher Report picks out there, and I saw a certain national title pick. You want to you want to go ahead and go public with your national title pick this year? Yeah, I mean it's out there. I, I picked the uh, I picked the Kansas Jayhawks. You know I. I <laughs> it, it was funny because I had to write that maybe a day or two after the Emporia State game. <laughs> and, you know, you go to the Emporia State game and anybody who was there and watched that game, man, you don't come away feeling great about KU. But it, it's kind of been the way I've been leaning all off season, just because I, you know, they'll sell traditionally his teams after they go to Elite Eight when it's an eclectic experience team that's kind of building up to something after they go to Elite Eight. What have they done after that? I think two, both the years he's gone to lead eight at KU, haven't they followed that up with a, a national title appearance? I guess I guess the uh, the first time he didn't, they wouldn't have because they went to, to lead eight against Georgia Tech in his first year, then you know the first round next the next year. But usually they're kind of building up to something. They've had that tournament success. They've got you know one of the best backcourts in the country, and you know I I, I, I like having that. Craig Mason and Devontae Grant, understanding how Bill Self wants to play, understanding the, the, the team on, on, on both sides of the ball. And then, you know, I think Josh Jackson is coming into a much better spot than, than Andrew Wiggins was in that he has point guards who can get him the ball in, in good spots. And the, the team's just built way better. And it, it, while I say that, it, it's funny to, to look and see what Joel Embiid's doing now and how he was rapidly improving that, that year uh, a couple of years ago. What, what do you think would have played out if, if Joel Embiid, sorry to distract from my, my national title pick, but how would that have played out a couple of years ago if uh, Embiid was healthy? Impossible to know. I mean, you've got to figure they beat Stanford, but, uh, you know, from then yeah. on, you just don't, you don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I remember Boy talking Guard was still an issue that year, but man, he was, he was so good. I remember, talking Go to, I remember talking to an odds maker who said that it only affected KU's game per game totals by one point if you're looking at the spread. And you also have to remember that while Joel Embiid is doing crazy things in the NBA this year, uh, and he was very good at Kansas. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff he did, the dream shake, all those sort of moves, they were, uh, I mean, things you hadn't seen before from a big man. But we aren't talking about what Joel Embiid is like now and what he was at Kansas. I mean, like you were saying, he was still developing. He was still kind of a turnover machine and, and still learning how to get the ball in the post and be an effective scorer. Now, you know, Bill Self will tell you to this day it's one of the most talented, crazy big men that he's ever had. But uh, I don't know that that affected KU too much in that game. But again, you would have to assume they would have beaten Stanford. And then from then on, uh, you wonder how the season would have played out. But uh, you just don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of the question I wanted to, to pose to an odds maker, and he didn't seem like it made that much of a difference, especially in a team game like basketball. So, And especially with so many other talented players that KU had that year. I mean, they did have Andrew Wiggins. They did have other guys that could play. But I also want to get in there, CJ, that the first time KU loses, the first time that somebody goes down with an injury or there's some bad luck, you know, we're getting used to this thanks Obama thing. 
I want hashtag thanks CJ on Twitter. So if KU starts <laughs> KU starts 0-2, direct all your angry emails, all your angry tweets to, yeah. to thanks CJ yeah. on Twitter because uh, while I did not make you my national title pick, CJ is the one to blame. Who's your title pick, Jesse? Don't have one, but I do have KU in the final four. If you look at my 20 to 26 uh, story, you'll see KU makes it to the final four but does not win the championship. But still uh, a positive well, outlook for here's, here's the way I look at it. I, I, see, I see KU and Duke as being like a little tier above everybody else. You know, Kentucky can maybe get there, but I watched Kentucky summon the exhibition. And, you know, I, I know kind of how that roster is made up. I, I just don't know that, you know, it's, it's one of his – while it's really kind of the roster, I don't know how, how the pieces fit. And with Duke, you know, they have question marks. If, if Frank Jackson's really good, I might want to re- rethink my pick because, you know, he's their freshman point guard coming in who's, who's a pretty talented kid. But, you know, they're they're looking at going to the season, maybe probably starting Grace now in a point guard. They also are dealing with a lot of injuries. I just kind of like how KU is put together and, and the experience, the, the fact that those guys have all played together for, for so long, you know, the core. Of, of the group, and then you mix in a, a really talented freshman with, with Josh, Josh Jackson. Plus, you have Sweezes. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Sweezes yet. And you I mix. Mean, how about the uh, the star Sweezes with that? So, it's a. Uh, I, I think it's a nice blend of talent, experience, and um, you know, usually those those two things go together pretty well for Bill Self. And you mix in a Midwest bias, and then you have a national title pick. So that's really all you need from C.J. Moore. <laughs> Again, hashtag thanks C.J. on Twitter once KU season uh, starts to look like it's going down the drain. But, uh, no, it's good. I, I, I want to get to this talk with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. Looking forward to this game coming up Friday. But uh, we'll go ahead and get to that interview with him right after this short break. Hey, KU basketball fans, this is Kansas City Star sports writer Blair Kirkhoff. Check out the new KUHoops.com to keep up to date on everything Kansas basketball. KUHoops.com has in-depth analysis from the Star's award-winning sports writing team, as well as news on recruiting, game previews, video highlights, and much more. KUHoops.com will keep you updated on Coach Bill Self as he tries to take the Jayhawks to their 13th straight Big 12 regular season title and into the NCAA tournament. Go to KUHoops.com now on your PC or mobile device. Now joining us on the Sportsbeat KC podcast is Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star covering the Indiana basketball team. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing all right, and we're looking forward to this game Friday, KU versus Indiana. I guess just give us, before we start getting into the matchup a little bit, can you give us just kind of the preseason look at Indiana and kind of the expectations for the Hoosiers going into this season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting team, um, a team that obviously on paper lost a lot, lost two leading scorers from last season, including Yogi Ferrell, who was an All-American as a senior at point guard. Um, and I think a lot of people probably rightly sort of see Indiana as kind of missing. There's, there's kind of a big gap there to fill, and there's no obvious sort of heir to Yogi Ferrell specifically. But on the other hand, you've got a lot of young talent uh, Thomas Bryant elected not even to, to sort of mess with the NBA draft. Um, same for OG Ananobi. You've got Robert Johnson back. You've got James Blackman back. Josh Newkirk, a pit transfer, is is eligible now. So you've got three juniors in that backcourt. And even with Colin Hartman, who's Indiana's lone senior, um, out long-term maybe for the season with a knee injury, um, there's a lot of depth on this team. So I think, you know, what I've been telling a lot of people about Indiana is, I think they're a big title contender. I think, frankly, there is a Final Four team in this group. 
but I also don't think that's what they are right now. Um, and, and I understand that everybody expects to get better as the season goes on, but, you know, three years ago, Indiana starts the season ranked, or I guess, geez, it's four years ago now, isn't it? Indiana starts the season ranked number one overall. You looked at that team and said, that team, there's some ways they need to get better and all that, but, like, that team is a Final Four caliber team right now. This team can be that good, but I don't think it's guaranteed that it will be that good, that it'll get there. I just think that it, it can. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see this game, Kansas. Um, they played North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge at home. They got Louisville on New Year's Eve. Um, I'm really interested to see kind of the first couple months of the season and how Indiana rounds out. Zach, you you look at the the roster and kind of the makeup, and I, I you know obviously I think the biggest question is a is a point guard. Um, you've had the chance to at least watch Josh in two exhibition games. How has he looked so far, and and how is you know maybe their offense different now just because you don't have Yogi back there, who you know so much went through him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Newkirk is, and you you're right. We've seen him through two exhibitions. We've heard a lot from you know teammates about how good he's been in practice and how valuable he was as a scout team player last year. Um, Tom Crean said last night, and Jesse, you were there too, and, and I think this is probably the best way to describe Josh Newkirk right now, is that he's doing everything well, but you get the sense that he could be doing it a lot better. That you know, I mean, he's, if you look at like his numbers, for example, in those two exhibition games, he shoots three of eight and one, he shoots zero of two in the other. Um, I think he's I think he's missed all of his three point tries, and that's something that Indiana's really going to need him to to rediscover as a shot. He was a a good three point shooter as a freshman. Um, he was a significantly poor three point shooter as a sophomore. With the knee surgery he had, you kind of wonder how much that might have affected him during the season. Uh, but on the other hand, he's also got you know over those two exhibition games, eleven assists and just one turnover. Um, he showed more explosiveness. Frankly, I mean, he had a couple dunks. He uh, he had a block off the backboard against I think it was the Bellarmine game um, that, that that suggested a level of explosiveness that we didn't necessarily think he had. And with all respect to Yogi Ferrell, he was he was an exceptional athlete, but I can't remember Yogi Ferrell dunking the ball uh, more than maybe one time. Um, so it, it maybe suggests that Newkirk has just a little bit more sort of vertical athleticism to him than we thought. And, and it's just kind of one of those things where I think what Indiana needs from him is is to just kind of be smart and to understand that. You know, he's got good shooters around him, guys like Johnson and Blackman, even OG Ananobi, um, who between IU's two exhibition games shot 7 of 11 from behind the three-point line, or I think it was actually 7 of 12. But he's got, you know, really talented forwards. Thomas Bryant, obviously, I would throw Juwan Morgan into that mix. I think Deron Davis, uh, a freshman from Colorado who arrived to campus late, is going to come along well as the season progresses. Um, but what Indiana needs right now is more for him to just kind of be steady. He doesn't, you know, Yogi Ferrell did everything for that team. He was, uh, he was a great scorer. He was obviously left as Indiana's all-time leader in assists and games played. Uh, he was even, frankly, I, I always thought kind of an underrated rebounder. He understood the value of, you know, if, if he rebounds the ball, the break gets started that much faster. And, and in Indiana's high-tempo offense, that's important. Um Indiana doesn't need all those things from Josh Newkirk. What it needs from him right now, I mean, an 11-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio is probably a little bit inflated uh, by the level of competition. But, a, a, you know, a solid sort of handle on the offense, how to keep the ball moving, how to find guys in the right spots without making a ton of mistakes. 
and then letting stuff, particularly like the scoring, the three-point shooting, letting that kind of come as he gets his his sea legs back under him. I, I think that, that that's what Indiana needs from Newkirk right now. Again, talking with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. I wanted to get to two guys in particular because these are the two guys I think KU players are going to or KU fans are going to hear about most. You mentioned Thomas Bryan. I'm looking at his line from last year. An amazingly efficient player. Uh, if I'm looking across his stat line and what he was able to do, not only that but on the glass. And then you talked about uh, OG and Anobi. Who I hope I said that right. But I, I've seen him on a lot of lists as most improved player in the country. You know, maybe expected to take a huge leap this year. Saw and you talked about a little bit about the exhibition games. Can you talk about those two players in particular and what KU fans can expect from them on on Friday? Yeah, I mean, as you said, Bryant is the more um, sort of household name, I guess you'd call him right now. He's uh, uh, he averaged, I mean, he was a starter through all of last season. He averaged, if I'm remembering correctly, about 11.5 points and six rebounds, something like that. You're right, he was. He finished last season with the best two-point field goal percentage and I think the best overall field goal percentage in the Big Ten, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's, a, he's an exceptional finisher around the rim. He doesn't take a lot of bad shots offensively. You'll see him. I think step out a little bit more and he, he wasn't I think I want to say he shot five of 15 for behind the three-point line last season so it's not like he doesn't have those skills you know he's not Kevin Durant he's not going to live and die out there or anything like that but he, he will try to step away a little bit more um, he's gotten stronger in the offseason I think he's going to be a better rebounder this year and he was a pretty good rebounder last year particularly if you look at his percentages the big thing for him is kind of can he sustain longer minutes, which I think is anything you ask uh, of a guy that, I mean, you know, there aren't a lot of freshmen that athletically come into college and can play 30, 32 minutes a night. And Indiana didn't really need him to last year either with Max Bielfeld, with Juwan Morgan, uh, with some other guys on, on their roster. Can he, he, he had some on and off foul trouble that I think he got a little bit better with as last season went on. But if he's going to be the centerpiece for this team, and I think he is, I mean, I think he's eventually a Big Ten title, or excuse me, a Big Ten Player of the Year contender, um, if not a Big Ten Player of the Year front runner. And if he's going to be that, he, he has got to be much more consistent about not getting into foul trouble, particularly early foul trouble. Um, and then he's, you know, he said this even through last season, he's got to become a better defender, um, and and he's he's good at being sort of vertical, but he's got to get quicker laterally. He's got to be able to kind of defend the paint you know, in a number of different directions. So it's he's a guy that's probably going to wind up being a first-round pick, maybe a lottery pick, depending on how he improves. But it, it is – Ananobi is the one that kind of holds a little bit more intrigue. Um, you know, it, it not to sort of overblow the storyline, but he's he wasn't even, I don't think, a top 250 player. I remember talking to Brian Snow, who works for Scout in recruiting and – uh, lives in Indianapolis, so he's very familiar with IU recruiting and Midwest recruiting. And when IU committed Ananobi out of high school, he's from Jefferson City, Missouri, Snow told me, he just said, not only did I not really know who he was a year ago, I'd literally never heard of him. Um, so he was a very off-the-radar guy. He had some good offers, Iowa, Georgia, Ole Miss. I think there were a couple of other schools in sort of Indiana's you know range of expectation that were sniffing around him. Um, and he didn't play a lot in the preseason, but he just kind of exploded. He averaged like, I want to say 30 points and four rebounds over his, or, or 10 points and four rebounds a game over IU's first three Big Ten games last year. He had a great NCAA tournament. And he's, he is, you know, very much in kind of that three and D mold that you hear NBA people talking about now. He's 6'8, 230, 235. He's a great defender, can move laterally very well. 
um, can defend four, if not five positions. You know, I mean, I don't know if you'd see him, for example, defending Thomas Bryant, but I don't think Indiana would have a problem with him switching onto a player like Thomas Bryant for, you know, a, a few seconds in a possession. He's an incredibly efficient player. Um, if, if I'm reading uh, my stats right, he did not miss a two-pointer during the two exhibition games, and I think his effective field goal percentage last season was 62.5. So he, he takes smart shots. He can knock down threes. Uh, you know, the, the big question I've asked of Ananobi, he's got to get better, you know, in terms of turnovers and handling the ball, but I don't think that's a, a huge surprise. The big question I've asked of him is, he was such an efficient player last season. He shot almost 45% from outside the three-point line. He shot something like 62% inside the, you know, in, in, on two-pointers alone. Can he sustain that when he's playing 27 minutes a night, not 13 and a half minutes a night? And if you look at it again, I think he shot 16 of 21 between IU's two preseason games. And... You know, I'm trying to think of the three-pointers he missed. He missed one wing three-pointer that just kind of rimmed out. He missed one that he probably forced. Uh, probably the only shot I would say he forced in the preseason. He's really good around the rim. He's very explosive. Um, you know, the, the the question that I think we get answered for him on Friday is, how does he handle it when he's, got, when he's being defended by a guy who is just as athletic, who is just as long and rangy, um, you know, I, you'll know better than me who Kansas will match him up with, but um, he can certainly eat up the the lesser competition, and he's just kind of one of those guys that, like I said, 3 and D is kind of what comes to mind. He's really good defensively. He's really very, very efficient offensively, and he's just kind of a smart player that doesn't force much. Zach, I, you know, I, I love OG. I think he's got – I think he's – you know, down the road, I think he'll be the best player on that roster, whether it's this year or, you know, in like five years as far as pro potential. But, um, you know, it, it looks like Indiana so far is playing him at the four. Is that where he was playing most – at least started there. Is that where he's playing most of his minutes? And, um, you know, I think that is kind of an intriguing matchup for – when KU goes big, you know, how do they match up with him? And then when they go small, I'm, I'm sure the, the Anobi Josh Jackson matchup could be, could be pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it, not to bite into the term positionless basketball too much, <laughs> um, but I mean, certainly where they start him, I would, I would expect, although I would not take this, you know, as gospel, I would expect Indiana to go with the three guards plus Ananobi and Bryant tomorrow, Newkirk, uh-huh. Jackson, Newkirk, Johnson, Blackman, plus those two. So I guess in theory, if you're giving them a position, it's the four, but they will switch almost anything defensively. Um, he really will defend four, if not five positions, and they will put the ball in his hands and run things through him at times offensively, not just him. I mean, Tom Crean is fond of saying that Jawan Morgan is one of his backup point guards. Jawan Morgan's a six, yeah. seven, six, eight forward from Missouri. Um, and, and I, I mean, going back to last season, I have seen Indiana put Jawan Morgan at point guard. It's not like a long-term thing, but they can do it. He can handle the ball and he can pass it very well for a player of his size. So it, it I, I mean, if you want to give him like a specific position, I guess it'd probably be four, but if there are moments where Indiana goes big and say it, like Johnson, Morgan, Ananobi, uh, you know, Deron Davis, Thomas Bryant, he'll be playing the two. I mean, he, he really is a guy that can fit into a lot of different positions, not unlike, and I'm not comparing impact or anything like that or trying to say that he's going to be this good or this good, 
But, I mean, that's somewhat what Indiana would do with Victor Oladipo. I mean, he was – they wouldn't maybe move him to the four or the five as much, but they'd go small, and he'd be maybe the second biggest guy on the floor. Um, Or Troy Williams, who they, you know – he was up and down at times with Troy Williams. But, um, you know, they'd put him at the two, then they'd put him at the four. Sometimes even on on some of their smaller teams, they'd put him at the five. So that's – I mean, they will – OG Ananobi, there is – there's nothing they won't try with him on the floor. Let's put it that way. Again, we're talking with Zach Gosserman of the uh, Indianapolis Star here. Zach, I did want to ask you, can you give us the one- or two-minute version for everybody who wasn't following Indiana last year? You know, the the first vision I have in my head, and maybe this is just, you know, selective because I just happened to tune into that game, but I, I remember watching part of the Duke game at Duke, and a 62-possession game, Indiana gave up 94 points to Duke, and just thinking, this program is completely lost. You know, they can't guard anybody. How did it go from that to what it ended up being, a 27-8 season, beating Kentucky in the round of 32? Uh, what changed? Can you give us the one- or two-minute version of, of what happened with Indiana last year and how Tom Crean was able to turn things around? Yeah, I don't know if you guys like have this uh, in Kansas or wherever, but th- there's a few IU fans that are really active on Twitter that we we you know we in the media have kind of wound up um, becoming sort of friendly with in a social media way. And one of them is a guy named Pete Oren who coined the term Lahaina layup line after <laughs> um, Indiana's frankly disastrous trip to Maui. Um, and then you talk about Duke. I think I think Kim Pomeroy said they gave up 1.52 points per possession, was the, which was the most points per possession he'd ever seen Duke average against like a, a high major conference opponent. Um, so, I mean, it, it was abject, frankly, and, and there's no, in one respect, they started to get better defensively just by kind of, I think, drilling down and getting back to some basics. If you watch that Duke game, they tried a thousand different defenses. CJ, you were there that night, I think. Yeah. Um, and they just kept, they kept switching defenses and you almost felt like that was almost making it worse. They, they, it somewhat just kind of handed defensive duties over to one of their assistants, Rob Judson, who seemed to sort of simplify things and just kind of get back to some real basics. And they got slowly but progressively better defensively if you look at, you know, even some of the low and mid-major teams they played the back in a non-conference play. If you look at, like, what they were averaging when they came in versus what Indiana did, they held, I think, something like seven out of nine or eight out of ten teams in a row under a point per possession. They had a really easy start to conference play, which I think was important. They had like Rutgers, Illinois, Minnesota twice, Northwestern, Ohio, uh, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. Um, and they used that to start 7-0, and and I think that built a lot of momentum. And then when they got into this really, really difficult part of their schedule from about like early February on through the end, um, they just kind of had maybe discovered a little bit more of a defensive identity. And also they'd lost James Blackman, but that had sort of maybe crystallized some roles for other guys, maybe injected a sense of urgency to say, well, you know, if we don't have a 17-point-a-game a score or a 15-point-a-game score or whatever he was when he went out, um, we're really going to need to kind of knuckle. Everybody else needs to knuckle down. Our margin for error is a lot slimmer. And, and what I thought, you know, I don't know if people said this, but sort of what I felt watching that team was that when they had Blackman and early in the season they thought our offense is what makes us elite. It's what really makes us go. Um, that's what we're going to focus on because if we're going to win games, if we're going to achieve what we want to achieve, it's going to be through this this just like high-octane offense. And when they lost Blackman, I think they kind of had to look at it and say, we can't just outrun and outscore people anymore. We, we've got to be able to get some key defensive stops to build momentum through defense. And it took a while, and I think that, you know, I, I would 
happily accept the argument that if they, if you literally just flipped Indiana's Big Ten schedule around and they had to open with Maryland and at Iowa and, you know, Purdue at home and all these tough games they had from like Valentine's Day on last year, it maybe isn't the same season. But they used kind of, they, 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 they took Duke as a low point and then used the start, the, the kind start to conference play and just built enough momentum to become a better team. And then, yeah, they, they wound up winning the Big Ten by two games and going to the Sweet 16. Zach, what's the kind of how would you judge how Indiana, the fan base, sees Tom Crean now? Because, you know, last year early on when they when they went to Maui and after that Duke game, um, you know, I, I sensed and I wrote at the time that I thought he he was kind of not in a good spot as far as his future going forward because he'd, he'd lost the fan base in many ways. And, you know, he had a group that he'd had for a couple of years that couldn't really defend, and, and credit to him that he – but they figured it out. But, um, you know, he's he's always been a guy that it seems like the Indiana fan base has kind of not uh, ever been super hot on, at least for the last couple of years. Where, where is he now as far as his, you know, how the Indiana fan base feels about him and, and kind of with the program going forward? I, I mean, I think he won a lot of people back last year, and, and I think it's – I think that's – I think he should have. I think that's fair. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, even I and I'm – just sort of an objective observer, but I'll readily say that I did not think Tom had that kind of recovery in him, um, you know, and, and frankly, I'm not sure how many coaches really would. I mean, I, I think that's as much a credit to him as anything. I'm not sure how many coaches would have been able to take, you know, what we saw from Maui and Duke and and then losing James Blackman and kind of having this, as you talked about, I mean, they the, the, the pitchforks were out to some degree, Um uh, for for Tom Crean and to sort of weather all of that and get through all of that and not just kind of build I guess you know a good season but but to to turn it so you know around so much I mean to to basically just 180 degrees to become you know Big Ten champions um, you know I think he did a a fantastic job coaching in a lot of different ways and I think you know at the same time. Indiana's like Kansas. I mean, you know, they're always going to – like, they, they expect that their down years are 22-23 wins and a round of 32 appearance, and their up years, they're a Final Four contender. Um, and so I think there are a lot of people that are looking at this team and saying, we lost Yogi Ferrell, we lost Troy Williams, but there's an awful lot of talent back. We expect this year to be as good as or maybe even better than last year. But I don't think that's a reflection on how they feel about Tom – so much as it is a reflection on what they expect of their, you know, their program. I mean, Indiana, it's obviously been a very long time. This will be the 30-year the anniversary of their last national title. But ultimately, this is still the team with the most Big Ten championships in, in conference history. This is a team with five national titles, a rich basketball tradition. That's never going to go away. And they're going to expect that when they've got a team that's got this much talent and this much depth, that they do something pretty special with it. So, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think that like fan expectation this year is necessarily that guy better get it done or else, you know, we're going to change our opinion of him. I think it's more just like, Hey, we should be really good this season. Um, and, and we're Indiana. So when we have a good team, we expect a good season. But I think that he turned a lot of people around last year and, and, and rightly and fairly so. I think it was a, a fantastic coaching job. Zach, before we let you go, one thing you're interested to see in this matchup between KU and Indiana on Friday, and then just a quick prediction of how you think it's going to go. You know, I, I, it's it's kind of a a weird one, and I'll admit I have not deep dive studied Kansas just because 
you know, it's also the middle of IU football season, and, and while IU's a basketball school, we, we, we've still got to kind of split our time. But I um, hear you. I definitely hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see the sort of backcourt, frontcourt dynamic, because on one hand, I think Kansas has a real backcourt advantage. And, and, you know, Tom Crane has spent the last week talking about how fast Kansas is, how fast they run, which is saying something for a coach who, I mean, I was – sitting right behind Indiana's bench in the IU-Kentucky game in the Sweet 16 in 2012 um, and against probably the best college basketball team I've ever covered live. Tom Crean is sitting there telling his team to keep going faster and keep going faster. This is not a coach that slows down very much. He believes in speed. He believes in tempo and pace. Um, and, and if he says Kansas is fast, something that you would have to imagine is driven by those, those veteran guards they have, um, then then I believe that they are a very fast team. On the other hand, you know, I, I, I know Indiana is not going to face a team more talented than Kansas this year. I mean, that, that's just reality. Like, they, there might be a better team somewhere down the line they face, but there's not a more talented team. Um, I'm curious to see how they match up with Bryant and Anunoby, and to a lesser extent guys like Juwan Morgan and, you know, Deron Davis and, and some of these bigger lineups Indiana can throw at them because I think that is – what Tom Crean's best teams at Indiana and probably even at Marquette have always been kind of guard driven and he's got some great guards on this team I think especially long term is that that sort of three junior backcourt gels with a couple of freshmen who won't be needed to do too much Devontae Green and Curtis Jones but I think eventually will become you know good role players um, but this is a team where its greatest talent is centered in its front court and I'm curious to see how other teams match up with that and therefore how Indiana kind of, you know, tries to counter that or respond to it because I can understand as, as good as, as much as that backcourt for Kansas might have an advantage on Indiana. Um, I imagine it's going to be very difficult for any coach to, to deal with, you know, game planning and scouting Thomas Bryant and OG Ananobi in the same lineup um, because those are two guys that can rebound the ball well. One of them shoots threes at a high rate. The other one is they're, – they're both incredibly efficient around the rim. One of them's an explosive athlete. The other one's got a seven-six wingspan. Um, I think Kansas wins personally. I, you know, Indiana also had a number of injuries through the offseason and the preseason. James Blackman had an ACL tear in late December. Rob Johnson and Jawan Morgan both needed offseason surgery. Colin Hartman is is again out for a long time, if not the entire season, with a knee injury. The specific nature of which Indiana has declined to share with us. Um, and, and Josh Newkirk is a guy that I think Indiana is going to get a lot of, out of down the line, but he had knee surgery. He's only been healthy since maybe mid-January, and he hasn't played a live basketball game in almost two years. So I think that Indiana is going to be kind of rough around the edges in, in a way that obviously every team is, is not a complete package at this time of year, but I don't think Indiana even necessarily got as much out of preseason as, as it would have hoped. So I think, I think it's a good game. I hope it's a good game. Um, I think it's a competitive game, but I just I, right now I see more to, to use since we are just fresh off of election season. I see more paths to a Kansas victory um, than to an Indiana victory. But then again, you know, I guess if we're talking elections, it's not like we haven't seen something unexpected there in the last week either. So, hey Zach, I had I had one last quick question before you go. I know Jesse said that was the last one, but you know I always like to throw in. <laughs> One more question. Thomas Bryant, you know, Tom Crean has has always used his big man, I think, in interesting ways. You know, I remember when he had Cody Zeller, um, they would give him, like, a lot of, you know, kind of 
try to get him the ball in space in the 17-18 area and take advantage of his quickness. You know, Bryant has, has always, to me, been a little bit heavy-footed, but I know Indiana is so um, focused on developing skill, whether it's ball handling, you know, getting their guys to be able to operate in space. That includes their bigs. Landon Lucas for KU is a guy that, you know, is, is more comfortable kind of guarding the paint, maybe not, you know, laterally the quickest. Do you see them, and have they done this in the preseason, trying to get Bryant the ball? I know you said he's, you know, maybe shoot some more threes this year, but get Bryant the ball in that 17, 18-foot area and just kind of get him space and try to get him attacking off the bounce. I think that's one thing that could kind of be interesting to watch in this game. I think they definitely could. Um, there is actually a, a sort of through the looking glass moment in the Bellarmine exhibition where uh, Deron Davis was posted up against, you know, some kid that was like 6'6", six, six, and uh, Thomas Bryant was dribbling out at the wing behind the three-point line um, and fed him the ball. <laughs> so watching a 6'10 kid feed a 6'10 kid on a, a post-up was a little bit strange to watch, um, even against a, a Division II team. But I think they could. I, you know, it, to your point, I, I think Cody was a little bit better handling the ball and and therefore they were more comfortable kind of putting him in, in those sort of high post situations and, um, and and letting him attack downhill. They did a little bit of it with Noah Vonley too. It's hard to kind of compare that because Vonley was only on campus for nine months, you know, ultimately. Um, I'm not sure Bryant, it's, you know, it's a combination of his, you're right, I don't think he's quite as explosive for his size as Zeller was, and I'm not sure he's got quite as tight of a handle but on the other hand, um, I, I think that Indiana likes the idea of putting him in space and seeing if they can't get some weird advantageous matchups, maybe a, a guard switches on to him or something like that, or, or, again, kind of drifting him out to the three-point line, letting him take the occasional three. I think they would like him to do that, maybe more, frankly, than, than they did Cody Zeller. I mean, I, don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think Zeller attempted 15 three-point shots his entire career in Indiana. Yeah. Um, and Bryant, That's what Bryant tried last year if I'm remembering my stats right. So I, I think they could – I think – let's say this. I think they will move him out to the perimeter. I don't know if they will use him in all the same way as they did Zeller. But I absolutely think you will see him um, out, you know, around or behind the three-point line at times. Zach, where can we check out your stuff on uh, online? Um, it's indystar.com slash sports, I-N-D-Y, star.com slash sports, and then just – Twitter's my name, at Zach Ofterman, so keep it pretty basic there. Hey, well, we appreciate you joining us, and like I said uh, earlier, hopefully a good game to start off the season. I think these two teams definitely, from talking to the coaches, looking forward to playing in, in what can be considered one of the great Blue Blood matchups of the season. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I would share all those sentiments. <laughs> All right, thanks again to Zach for joining us, and thanks to all you guys out there for checking out the Sports Beat KC podcast. Be sure to check us out again next week. Woo!